Hey everybody, welcome to Today in Trades. This is Jim Evans, powered by BidClips. Um, what a special episode we have. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, we are up at a cabin in Flathead Lake, Montana. I had to drive all the way up here to find the the godfather of auto glass. <laughs> he was been hiding in his cabin. And so uh, I want to welcome Mike Evans. He's a special guest. He's also my father. And uh, I owe everything I know to him, um, as well as my grandfather and the company that we grew up in. So what a special opportunity. Uh, we're here today. Dad, thanks for joining us. Glad and to be here. We're excited to just start diving in. Um, so first of all, today's discussion is actually around autoglass. Um, for those of you tuning in for the first time, um, it doesn't matter if it's autoglass, residential glass, plumbing, heating, electrical, we all deal with the same things. And this podcast is to help you run a stronger business, employ things that work, and to learn from people that have gone before us. So this is going to be an exciting day. Um, first, I wanted to do a little bit of background. Um, for some of you that are listening, you know that um, Mike has owned and ran a Glass Doctor franchise for many years, and they do more than just auto glass. They do residential as well, but our primary start was in auto glass. So Dad, why don't you talk to us about how you got started? How did you get into this business? And we're going to talk about how you too can end up someday maybe actually finding retirement. So let's start with your background. How did you end up in this crazy industry? Um, total mistake. Um, and that's the, that's, the, that's the God's honest truth. I, was, uh, I grew up in the grocery business, as you're aware. And I was in the grocery business and love supermarkets. And to this day, I love going to the grocery store, believe it or not. And, um, <clears throat> but I was looking for a business of my own and we came up here to Flathead Lake and up to Kalispell for a family reunion. And, uh, my brother-in-law, Carrie Culver was in the auto glass business. He worked for Safelight and he had just gone out and opened up his own glass shop. And we got here for the family reunion and unbeknownst to us, um, we were a week early and so nobody was here. So I started going to work with Carrie and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching him run around and pick up auto glass and, and pick up cars and dealerships and things like that. And it was him and another guy and he could break his shop up. He could break his shop even with three cars a day. The margins were that strong. And I'm coming out of the grocery business with margins of about 22% gross margins. And he's talking 70, 80% gross margins. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. What is this business? And I ran around with him for three days. And at the end of those three days, I said, Carrie, you think you could help me get into business? And by God, he did. And that's how I ended up in the auto glass business. It was about, it took about a year before we got anything going. And I actually came in and uh, we then built, a, uh, we got together and we built a, a chain, a small chain in Montana of nine stores, all called Diamond Auto Glass. And all we were was auto glass. And um, uh, we did that for about three or four years, built it to almost uh, just over $4 million in sales. And, um, uh, and that's when we transitioned and we were recruited basically to become Glass Doctor Franchise. Uh, and we did that because in Montana and in a northern environment, you lose a lot of auto glass sales in the winter. And we were looking for something to diversify ourselves. And at the time, there was a, 
There was a guy at, uh, at Glass Doctor called Robert Tunmeyer, and I met him at a convention. And he, he asked what my plans were. And I said, I think we're going to keep expanding, maybe into Idaho, maybe out into the Dakotas. And he said, why go wide when you can go deep? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, you need to get into flat glass. He says, Glass Doctor can get you all the tools you need to do that. And it took us about another year of, of arm wrestling before we actually made that decision. And we rolled in the largest uh, conversion glass company that they'd ever had. And we've been with them. That was in 2001. We signed with them. And uh, now what is it? 2021? 2021. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's our story in a nutshell. Wow, what a story. Um, obviously, I, uh, at the time, was 13, and that's an intimate story for us because as a family, you know, we just got moved into this new business. And at first, we kind of thought that dad was crazy because we were leaving Denver. We were leaving um, a neighborhood to start a business. Um, and that's a scary time. And a lot of you that are listening have been through that year or you're going through it now. You're entering into the service business. And I remember as a younger kid during all that, I remember two things. My Uncle Kerry could sell autoglass to anybody because he loved everybody and he was fun and he just connected. And I remember as a younger kid just being like, I want to be like that. You know, the way he just, he could walk into a room and anybody enjoys talking to him. And then I, I watched my father serve people. And from my perspective, being in a family business, we were cleaning windshields, we were putting glass away, and it was a really a great way. I think my mom and dad did a great job of inviting us in to all be part of it. And we'll have other episodes in the future about our secret weapon, my mother, and how she really helped us build the company, as well as my little brother, my little sister. We all had a hand in it. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I like to ask people, how did the business find you? Or did you find the business? Clearly, it was a little bit of both. Um, let's talk about those early years, because a lot of our listeners are inheriting a business from their parents, buying a business, maybe even regretting buying a business, rightfully so, um, and or they're just in a struggling, crappy business. So I'm really hoping this episode can kind of take us through the lessons you learned along the way, good and bad. Um, our viewers and listeners, you guys know we're not going to hold anything back from you. The power of this is to be real. So let's talk about that. So let's take us through the first three or four years. What was going on in your mind, your heart, and how did this business kind of start to evolve? And what did you learn early on that is still true 20 years later? Wow, that's a loaded question. And you just brought up a whole bunch of emotional anxiety in me. Um, the first years were so difficult because we were, we were, on, a, uh, we were on a fast track. And when you grow fast, you don't have enough money. And so number one, we didn't have enough money to support our own growth. And in this business, there's tons and tons of receivables. And so we learned, or I learned very quickly, um, I come with a degree in finance, so I'm kind of one of those accounting type nerds. Matter of fact, that's what everybody started calling me, the bean counter, because I was looking at margins and I was looking at opportunities, but I was really looking at cash. And what I learned was I look at my cash every day. And you know what? I still look at my cash every day. <laughs> We're sitting up here in, 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 on the lake and every morning I wake up and I go to the bank <laughs> and I look at the cash reserves in every store and make sure that they are, are where they need to be because it tells me a story. 
tells mm. me how their volume is, tells me how their business is, tells me how their collections are. We learned that early on, or I did. And one of the things that I learned was in this business, we had to be like squirrels and just save it all up till September 30th. I mean, at September 30th, I had to have the greatest amount of cash because I had to get to April. Mm-hmm. And what happens in this business is, and those of you that are very seasonal, you find that doggone the summers are unreal. You're just, you know, you're making money hand over fist in July and August and June and September hits and then October. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And you better hold on. Well, what a lot of people make mistakes on is they're, they're, they're making capital decisions, investment decisions, boat decisions, <laughs> car decisions in August when they're flush and come April, they might not be around. And our biggest thing was, my biggest thing was, we got to make sure we come around. So what did we do? Uh, I was really good at managing credit, uh, cash flow. As a matter of fact, I, 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 wrote my, I wrote my senior paper at Montana State on cash flow. And I showed it to my father, who was a grocer and very successful grocer. I showed the, it to my father. He said, you left one thing out. And I said, what's that? He said, you send the check, but you don't sign it. Then they have to send it back and it gets you another week and a half. (laughs) And so, so things like that and credit cards, my goodness, we took advantage of credit cards, never missing a payment, never using credit card interest rates to finance us, but using credit cards to buy us another 30 to 45 to uh, sometimes 60 days, uh, depending on the vendor still do that, still run massive credit card and home equity loan. I was fortunate enough to be able to have a home equity loan for the point those first three or four years, we didn't take salaries. We took, we took, uh, in at about, at about August or September, we'd have enough cash to pay us a one-time bonus sure. and try to pay down the line of credit and use the credit cards and just keep things flowing until oh, boy, spring. Do you have to be disciplined to do that? Right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, for two things. Um, if a lot of you have a store manager or a kid, you know, for a while, uh, dad would pay us some credit card points. So one nice thing about using <laughs> your cards is you can get bonuses in other ways. And I'm, I'm part joking, but I'm also kind of serious. You know, maybe some of you have a manager, you run into this cash flow there are ways to be able to give them some of those miles and just mm-hmm. as a nice little gift. And that's as important as money. We've, we talk about that in other episodes. Incentivizing your people does not always mean money, as right. we have learned. Um, secondly, though, as a, as a family going through this business, we felt that through the winter. Um, and we felt that as a roller coaster. And we all knew never to ask for anything at the store, not a new tool, not a new van. Between December and April, you just don't get anything. you got to make it. It's 20 years later. I know you still have PTSD from all of that. <laughs> but for the new people listening to this, with our new technologies, our newer business flow, obviously an extreme demand right now. Um, how? What do you tell the younger version of you looking back? To I heard you say be disciplined. What do you tell them to maybe help them to even that out so it's not such a, a burden? Do you recommend flat glass again? Do you recommend, What would you have done in auto glass to, to kind of lessen that blow? Yeah, that's a really good question. You always look for you always look for additional streams of income, and and here's what I I think I would tell people. We ended up building a nine store company, and I traveled around this. and And Montana's big, 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of these stores are in towns of like 10 and 15. And well, we had one in Polson. Right. For crying out loud. Polson's 3,500 people. Yeah, right. You know, and, and that was small. And those stores were, it was tough. What we did back then was we played to the strength of our manager. We played to the strength of who's in there, what are they good at. And, and, and I would say play to your strength. Um, here's what I found. You can work on your weaknesses. There's a, there, I'm, a, I'm a student of John Maxwell. And, and there's well, here something, comes the plug. Yeah. He's also a coach He's, now, everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a certified coach and business mentor with John Maxwell. I'm not going to plug myself. But the reality is I would, I would suggest, and I've done this with my, my team, I've gone through the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And the first law is the law of the lid. And what that means is that you are only going to rise as high on a scale of 1 to 10 as, 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 and your whole organization as high as you go. That's it. You're the lid at the, at the top. And so because there's, there's 21 laws and because there's 21 lids, basically, you're not going to be good in all of them. Okay. And there's going to be areas that you're weak in. So what you need to do is, is, is accept that, mitigate it, try to get better in it. But if you're on a scale of a one to 10 in an area, if you're a three, you can work your tail off and if you double your effectiveness, you're only going to get to a six. And that's just a little above average. That ain't good enough. Right. So leave it alone. Go to the sevens and try to make those tens. Right. And work on your strengths because your strength is what will get you through. It's where you want to live. It's where you want to, uh, it's, it's where you'll be most influential. And that's what leadership is. It's, it's influencing people. So you go work on your strengths. Now, what do you do with those weaknesses? I've always tried to find people that can mitigate those for me. And then empower them. Oh, these these two words, empower and trust, Mm -hmm. are huge. Empower and trust. And that is so difficult for most leaders or most small business people to do. I hear that so often. Well, I don't want employees because I can't trust them. Well, I'm sorry. But then you're just going to be a one-man show in a one-man truck. Right. And if that's how you want to live your life, that's fine. But it's about leverage. Right. Leverage and, and, and duplication is what gets you to wealth. And right. so, so you have to empower, which means you can fail. Yeah. You will never get fired from my company for failing. Mm-hmm. And we've had some failures, believe me. Right. right. But you will never, ever get fired for making a mistake, okay? That's powerful, and I want to speak to that as I managed my some of my father's shops through my career. Um, also, some of you, I hear this, we hear this all the time through um, chats online, you know, visit our social media, you'll, you'll see. Um, too many people try to do everything, and the question that we often ask, especially in bid clips when I'm doing our consulting, is what are your favorite services? And it's, it's always um, amazing to me that you'll have three landscapers and three of them have different things. One loves pavers, one loves um, sprinkler systems. You'll have plumbers, some love underground um, sewer mains, some just wanna do toilet repairs. What I would say, and this is important that I learned through the book and through being coached by my father, is it's already hard enough to lead at the things you love. So don't add things you hate mm-hmm. and try to lead. And so, I do encourage all of you, and I'm joking, but I'm not 
reach out to a Maxwell coach. Um, in the descriptions of the podcast, I'll, I'll put information for, for my father and reach out if you need some help with that. You might need to cut some fat out of your business. And Mike brought up a really good point about the ability to trust your people, to empower them with the tools they need, um, the things that they expect from you. I want to talk about the strengths, your own strengths as a leader and your strengths as a service person. You know, what skills are best and those go together. So all I need you to hear from me today is that it's really important for all of us to say, what services do we love? For example, I loved shower doors. And at first the family, we were an auto glass company, but I really loved them. I wanted to be part of them. I wanted to try them out. And I did well with showers because I, I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting in the van every day. Um, several other members of our company love auto glass. It's what they're comfortable with. It's what they know. And even inside of the organization, you can have different managers who are strong in different areas. However, we did all feel like Mike trusted us. And with that, we also knew we needed $40,000 in the checking account by August, or we were going to have a really hard winter. That wasn't hard for us to get our heads around. So as a team, we were trying our best because we knew he involved us in the trust component of we knew where we needed to be. So I want to talk about that a little bit more um, and give you some space to break that out a little bit. Give people a taste of what John Maxwell, what some actual development of your strengths means. So take it away. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think when I came into the business, I had learned um, the power of empowerment and trust. And, and, and really, the empowerments come first. That you have to just say, look, I, you know, and I, I, I used to say this, yeah. you are blessed, go do it, mm -hmm. do make your best decision. If you make a mistake, we'll talk about the mistake, but let's see what you can do. And then trust that they're going to do their best and that they know inside of them, because we all do, all of us inside of us have the power to make the decision. You know, people would used to come to me and, 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 and had, ask a question. And young leaders oftentimes are the first to answer. And I still fall into that. But when I'm really in my leadership, I don't ever ask, answer the question. I ask them, what do you think? Oh. What would you like to do? Because the truth is, by the time they come to you, they know. Mm -hmm. They have it. They just don't have the confidence to know that they know, or to have the confidence to tell you what they think and to allow them to rock, walk that process. And if they're, and if, if frankly, they're a little off, that's a perfect time to start asking the questions of, okay, how did we arrive there? What do you want? You know, what alternatives are there? Where do we want to go with this? Because that's where as the leader, your experience can really pay massive dividends. So that, and then it's the trust. And the trust comes to, here's my theory. I've always run our company based on, I'm gonna trust everybody because it's sort of the theory of a Nordstrom or a Costco. And I developed this back in the grocery business of just trust everybody. That if they come back and they have a problem, Ask them what you can do for them and take care of it. And that'll drive people crazy because they're trying to protect the nickels. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I find is when you trust everybody, yeah, 
5%, 3%, 2%. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a percentage that are going to rip you off. Mm -hmm. There's no two ways about it. But don't let it spoil the 90. That's right. So if you're managing to the 5%, frankly, you're screwing the 95. Right. But if you manage to the 95% and just realize that 5% is a cost of business, that 95% more than makes up for the 5% that gets you. More than makes up. And that's always been my attitude. And it's the same with employees. Mm -hmm. You're going to have employees that come in and just aren't quite as forthright as right. you'd like people to be. I right. can't believe that would happen in today's society. <laughs> yeah. But it does. Right. And they're going to rip you off and they're going to, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, but let's trust the 95% because those are the ones you want to keep. Right. You want to keep them. And, 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 and if you make all of your policies and procedures around that 5%, you're in trouble. Right. And, you know, it goes back to creating a culture. We've heard that as a theme if you listen to Today in Trades. Creating a culture is everything. It really is everything. Um, I'll speak to whenever we would scratch a car or have a leaky windshield or a shower door with a half inch, you know, tolerance instead of a quarter inch. We would watch Mike and Ray and our leaders in the business come walk up to a customer and sit down and say, we made a mistake and mm -hmm. own it and stand behind the team. They never threw us under the bus, just said, we employ humans, humans make mistakes. We're here to make it right. What I've also found is that the 5% and being a worker in the company, I saw the people ripping us off closer than sometimes the leadership did. What I found is they often check themselves out. They'll often leave the culture. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll self-implode because there's just something about that functional feel that a dysfunctional person can't sit in. And so I encourage all of you to listen to what was just said. This is gold. Trust your people. Um, obviously work with them. Know your business. The times and way we can talk, uh, I mean, for both of us, a failure is sometimes you just, you're not involved in your business enough. And if you're not checking your cash flow in the morning, you're not checking in with your leaders once a week, your culture will, will start to disband. So build a culture, build trust, um, empower your people. And for crying out loud, just pick services you like to do. Stop doing rock chips if they don't bring you life. Stop doing things. Mm -hmm. You got to pay the bills. So if you have, I would rather be busy with the things I like getting up in the morning to do. So those four things should give you some really solid footing to build your business for those of you just starting. Hopefully some of you are driving your van right now just saying, this sucks. I hate auto glass. I freaking want out. Um, our next section we're going to talk about is business is business and business can be a bitch. And we're going to talk about how it doesn't matter if you're selling auto glass, shower enclosures, landscaping, plumbing, or manure, we have the same challenges. And Mike's going to talk to us a little bit how to build through those challenges. We're going to kind of move into a few more of those lessons we've kind of learned. Okay, so for some of you that know, um, we're going down to Auto Glass Week next week. If you're listening to this podcast or you see it in your email, please come visit our booth, talk to us. If you're looking for leadership, if you're looking for tools, if you're looking for podcasts, Today in Trades, and BidClips, we care more about giving to all of you than we care about taking. So if you need resources, we are providing those. Visit BidClips.com, go to Today in Trades, go to see Mike Evans, go to John Maxwell. 
it's up to you to change your business. It's not up to anybody else. So we're gonna talk about Autoglass because Autoglass week is on the horizon. I'm really excited to go to Orlando. It's gonna be fun to see just the competitions and all the stuff. But let's really talk about Autoglass. Um, most of us listening to this, it's a bittersweet industry. It's uh, it's a pain. It's messy. It, it, there's, it's riddled with issues. I'm going to tell you before we even go down this road for two of us that have sold everything from door latches to aquapel to shower enclosures to commercial storefronts to autoglass to groceries. Business is business and it is tough. Whether you're in the software side like BidClips or you're in the shop still, it doesn't matter. So what we want to leave you with at this podcast, we're going to take you through some of the things we've learned in Autoglass. We're going to use Autoglass as our example. But if you're listening, don't tune out because you don't do Autoglass. Listen in because this applies to everything. So first, Mike, what frustrates you the most about Autoglass? Well, besides all of it, <laughs> um, you know, it's been an ever-changing landscape. Uh, when I first got involved, um, there was there were all sorts of issues. I mean, we were just kind of, when I first got involved in 1996 and, and went in and looked at what, how do they put in a windshield? We were still, you know, they were using gaskets, roping in. Uh, Butyl was still out there. And, and so, you know, one of the things that really frustrated me at the get-go and still does is frankly, the lack of sophistication. And it's an extremely sophisticated, it's turned into an extremely sophisticated business, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not hands-on every day, but as I'm talking to my, my, my leaders and my managers, I'm hearing about the frustration now with inventory and not, I mean, Ray, Ray up in Great Falls sent a guy in a van to Boise set, overnight to pick up Ken, Kenworth windshields because he does Kenworth trucks. He sent them down there to buy four windshields to bring them back. And I mean, it's that crazy. But we're running into all sorts of inventory issues and, of course, ADAS. And, and so the industry, the manufacturers are getting are more and more sophisticated. But our industry as a whole hasn't evolved. And even from our, our point-of-sale programs and they're still, you know, we're still running on nags with insurance companies. This is crazy. It's crazy because our pricing has nothing to do with the NAGS discount. When I first came in, we had a NAGS discount and, you know, everything ran together. Well, now it's all over the board. And so the reason that there's not a lot of sophistication is that there's only a couple of big players. Right. There's only a couple of big players. Most guys are, it's easy entry. That's frustrating. Extremely. It's really easy. So you train your competition. So my attitude on that is I might as well, I hope I train them well enough that they're good competitors. Right. And if, if, and, and maybe I can even convince them to stay with us and give them a better opportunity than they could have on their own. But the barrier to entry is too great. And the other thing is, is that the auto glass industry doesn't, in my opinion, has never respected its own value. Right. Of what we do. And that's one of the things we really, really try to drive home is our safety. That we are an integral part of the safety and to be, to, to be able to, to explain that to customers. That, hey, we're not, you know, we just don't bolt this thing in. 
because people would come in and want a windshield and well can't you just put it in in, in 10 minutes you know right, right. no it's it's this is far more serious than changing tires and the amount of phone calls we take and we have to explain really explain to customers and you don't talk at them they won't listen but if you ask questions like have you do you know how a windshield goes in then they'll often be like i have no idea i've never right. even thought about it yeah. um how come you can't do it in the snow do you understand that glue is, did you know that glue holds your windshield? I didn't know. I hear it so much. I was just down at Texpo in, um, in San Antonio last week. And we just, it was a constant theme of the crappy, shitty installations and the problems because of us as leaders uh, in this industry have not reined it in. Mm-hmm. We don't need to oversight. We need to all value our industry the way at least plumbers and electricians have. And those of you listening, hats off to you for mm-hmm. creating mentorships and holding a high standard to your work. And right. Autoglass doesn't get its crap together. We're going to have some major problems. And one of those problems is say goodbye to the little guys. And the little guys is what also builds this industry. It's what gives people an opportunity to move to Montana, to build your own future. So those of you listening that maybe have some quality issues in the shop, please don't be cheap. Charge an extra $20 for the windshields and send your team down to Autoglass Week for training mm-hmm. and, and education. Um, there's so many sources. So you can tell I get passionate about this because managing customer service when things go wrong is what hits my cord. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really irritating. So that I, I'm glad you talked about that. It is changing with ADAS. What are some of the ways that you have empowered your team to keep up with this changing environment? What do you do in your, in your stores? <clears throat> well, we are calibrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we jumped on that, that bandwagon early. real early. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, we were an early adopter, they would call us. I think we were one of the first purchasers of the, of the ADAS machines. Was it worth it? Yes, absolutely. Oh, frustrating to begin with? Really frustrating because, you know, it's new technology, right? It was sophistication. But it just took our guys getting used to it. It's like anything. You just have to do it. And it's repetition. And that's the same with leadership. That's the same with customer service. It's the same with coaching. It's just a consistency. And you get into it. And I can remember the Subarus. My gosh, we couldn't, we couldn't get a Subaru done and, 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 you know, at all. And then we learned how. Right. right? And everybody kind of has to go through that. And, and figure that out. So, so are we on board with, with calibration? Absolutely. It's a, for, we did it. One reason we did it was we did see an opportunity, but really we were taking our risk out. We were trying to be risk, of, yeah, risk averse, right? Right. right? We didn't want to send an uncalibrated car out. The other thing we didn't want to do is send our customer to the dealership, to the dealership. <laughs> because that there's another frustration right we used to do so much dealer work now they're concentrating everything into their dealerships because then they become a five-star dealer right because they have more services right. and they obviously learn that hey there's margin and auto glass right so we lost that so as far as i'm concerned they're frenemy we still do some work for them but for the most part they've you know, we've lost a lot of volume right. to dealer work. Right. And so why do I want to let anybody go there if I don't have to? Right. On the other hand, if I can't do it, I'm going to be the first person. Or if I can't do it right, we're the first person to find somebody who will. Right. That's and, a really good statement. And our, our attitude on that is I would rather help you get it done right than tell you we can't do it. Right. I'll, I'll tell you we can't do it or we're not comfortable right. doing it. But... We know somebody who can. Right. And even if we say, and, and to me, 
that's more valuable to the customer from a customer reception mm -hmm. to say, hey, they couldn't do it and they were honest and they found somebody who could. Am I going to go to the guy who could or am I going to come back to the guy who's honest? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so... You know, that's and a, that goes that's back a big to thing. earning trust. That's another way to exemplify trust mm -hmm. in your culture so your team knows that you trust you trust them and then the customers trust us. Exactly. And the other thing I want to talk about, and I don't care if they're listening, SafeLight really hosed us in a lot of ways because 15 years ago, you know, every SafeLight commercial is, is mobile and it's always sunny and never windy and never rainy. And I don't think it was intentional or, or ill-harmed, but it created this culture among customers that we can do anything in your driveway in any place. And I would love to have any of the SafeLight executives call me up, come up, we'll have lunch in Montana, and the weather's going to change two or three times. And so what I love about ADAS and I'm excited about is it's starting to bring in-shop auto glass back. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that because we want to talk about the frustrations of auto glass, but I also want to tell all of you how you can make some good money in auto glass and make your customers happy. Create an in-shop culture again. At ADAS, we have an opportunity to educate customers as to why we need their car for a few hours. And I see that now. SafeLight's starting to push them in shop, quality control. And that's going to be great for the industry. So I'm actually proud of that. I'm proud that of the shops that have employed um, calibrations because now we can start to talk about that. So let's talk about in-shop autoglass because I hear so often, oh, there's no money in autoglass. I'm telling all of you, I'm wearing my NGA hat. Shout out to Andrew and the NGA team. Please join your membership. Flat glass is great. But you can make money in both if you're good at that skill. Autoglass, um, when I grew up, we used to do, you know, 12, 13 windshields in shop a day in a controlled environment with helpers. And the customer got a better price. The service was better and the leaks were fewer. It moved to mobile. Let's talk about how we're seeing the autoglass industry change a little bit and how we can um, create some more margin back out autoglass still while making the customers happy, whether that's add-ons, ADAS. So let's talk about that a little bit. What have you seen in your business now as, as it's changing? Where are the opportunities? Well, I've always been a proponent of in-shop, um, particularly in the, in the environment we live in. Mm -hmm. And there's also another environment we live in. Our towns are not that big. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, we have a, you know, Bozeman, Montana, when we started was 29,000 people. It's grown to 45 now. Uh, Great Falls is a town of 50,000 people. Billings is 100,000. Um, it's harder in Billings, but you can still own your donut. Right. There's and enough, your neighborhood. Your neighborhood. There's enough business within your neighborhood. You can own your neighborhood. What were the gross sales of the, of the Great Falls shop last year in a town of 50000 Over a million dollars. Okay. So those of you listening that are driving clear across Dallas, clear across your markets, what does your neighborhood, and I often joke about clients in Atlanta, they've got a million people in a 5, 10-mile radius, maybe right. 15. Market and push your neighborhood. Yeah. And there's so many options for that. So I just Dallas, want all of Dallas you that is says only, you can. Dallas is a, is, a, is, a, is, is a town of 150,000 population neighborhoods. Oh, of course. And if you have a little donut in each of those, now you're building a neighborhood glass shop. Yeah. And think about your customers. Would they like to drive four blocks away or clear across the city to save $30 or 20 You can discuss these things with your customers. You can empower them. You can do Uber within a radius. You can use tools like Big Clips and others out there to 
Use geography to your advantage and give discounts on people close by. Your hook up your neighbors; they take care of you. So, really good feedback. Um, what else? What other opportunities are in, are in Autodesk today? Well, and again, I, I, you know, the reality is is that you said it earlier. Business is business, and you just you have to you have to. <laughs> my dad used to say, "The people will tell you what they want." listen they'll tell you so we've gone in over the years and tried to push different things that nobody seemed to want right we used to advertise windshield sale and all this well if you don't have a busted windshield it's right by you and if you don't have a busted windshield with that year making model because i came out of the grocery business we were doing springtime truckload sales and all this stuff none of it worked right finally figured out that, you know what, we just have to listen to what our customer wants because that's business. Give it, meet the need. Just meet the need. And in order to know what they want, you have to ask questions. And you got to listen. And, they're, and, they, and they tell you every day because they call. Right. Hey, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? You know, and they'll call. And if you're a windshield company, they might call and ask, do you do rock chips? My God, we do rock chips. Right. Just drive on in. First come, first serve. Right. right? Do I want to go do a mobile rock chip? No. Why would I go do that? It just put a guy in a van, have him waste time, and you know, get sixty to ninety bucks. You're crazy. One it of doesn't the, make one any of the sense. Best, one of the best lessons that Mike ever taught me was to just ask your customers, "How did it break? How's your weekend? What are you planning on? Why do you need it done so quickly?" Customers will tell you, "Well, I'm afraid it's going to fly out of my car." Educate them. Um, well, broke because I keep hitting, getting hit by the same truck over and over again. Well, did you hear about our guarantee program? Asking a question involves the customer. It allows them to put their phone down for one second to just look at you because they have to do something. And whether that's the, you know the big clips customer journeys we take them on, asking people to be involved is your best way to find out what they want. So you can just take care of them. And that goes back to asking your managers, what would you like to do? lead your culture to ask your customers. So hopefully you're seeing that connection between how we treat our people and how we treat our customers. Well, the the other thing to keep in mind is that we assume that they know what we're doing. And many, many, many people, first off, when they call up, they have no idea what this is going to take. Some of them think it's going to be four weeks before you're even going to be able to get that part in. And we sit here and think, well, they're on the phone. They want it done today. Well, we that's what we think but it's not what they think a simple when would you like it done I, 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 a great story um ray my manager partner up in great falls montana was at this lady's house one day and put in some insulated glass units and she said would you look at this shower i've had a couple of different people come out here and tell me this shower is going to be really tough it's kind of a neo angle deal and ray went and looked at it and he he said you know he said, yeah, we can do this. He said, it's going to be expensive. And she said, you let me be the judge of that. <laughs> That's really powerful. That is really powerful. And we talk about that today. And we talk about that. And this happened years ago. Mm-hmm. You let me be the judge of that. You let them be the judge of that. Because I can't tell you how many people, I mean, they just don't have a clue of where the value is or where it should be. And I'm not saying you go around and look at them and say, okay, I'm gonna get you. No, value your service. And what we have found is that people are really, 70% of the people are looking for just the best value. 
And part of that value is how you feel when you're done. Yeah. Part of that value is I was treated right. I was, man, look at they cleaned my my, you know, they cleaned me up, they gave me something back, they they educated me and 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 they let me know what they were doing and they communicated with me. That's frankly the power of bid clips is that communication that you put into the hands of the customer and that they stay communicated with as opposed to I wonder when they're going to show up. Right. I wonder what the deal is. And it's so, automatic. So as soon as you flip a status, they know. And you don't have to worry about humans forgetting. Yeah. So the opportunity, in my opinion, in Autoglass is it's it, it's not what's right for us. It's what's right for them. Right. And, and, and so ask them. You know, I mean, so many people will call on a Tuesday and we think, well, you know, we can have it by tomorrow. Well, we really can't. We're too stressed. We're, we're, it's not available. When would you like it? Right. Well, I was thinking maybe next week sometime. No hurry. You know, right. all this other kind of thing. That buys you the time oh, and alleviates the stress. We always say, everything. looks like we have it in stock. We can do it tomorrow, shooting ourselves in the foot. And when someone hears, when my four-year-old daughter hears, you can have candy now or maybe we'll go tomorrow, it changes everything. Yes. And it's important to know that as we guide. And don't force your customers to fit you. Go where your customers are. Guide your customers. Take them on a journey. Light the path. Um you just said something really interesting, and one of my mentors, um, which on, which wasn't you on this one, but it was very important that we've empowered. You get three, two of three things: speed, price, or quality. And so, value does not mean cheap. Value means the best deal for what you're paying for at the time it takes to get it done. And some of us are driving ambulances to emergencies and charging them what we would charge a friend that can wait for two weeks. So value and triage your business to what is a true emergency and then what's an urgency. So um, we could go on a whole podcast episode about coaching there, and we are going to. But right now, we're going to talk about, again, this all ties back to the culture. Trusting, asking questions, listening, and then prescribing. What you've heard from your people. You do that with your managers. You do that when your customers are upset. And then you do that when your customers are shopping. And you might learn something that took us 20 years to learn. And for Pete's sake, if you can learn it your first year, you're going to be miles ahead. This has been a great podcast. Um, obviously, I chose to do it here at our family cabin for a few reasons. First of all, it's exciting to have COVID um, hopefully the world is beginning to heal and we can be together. And I hope that brings a lot of you encouragement that, that our families and our shops are coming together. And man, has it been fun doing business with people. Again, we miss people. Secondly, we're not rich. This isn't a fancy cabin, but so many of our clients at Bid Clips and so many people I work with and dear friends don't have an exit plan. They didn't put these things into place. They only charged enough to pay their bills for the next week. So I want to talk to you about that, Mike, just if you've got people listening right now, they're maybe halfway through their journey, or maybe they're coming to the end. What are the things that you'd say that can help them to do what you guys have done and prepare for what that's going to look like? You have to invest and you have to invest in yourself and you have to invest in your business. And what that means is that our best investment wasn't anywhere but in our business or in our, in our lives. As a business owner, you have tremendous, tremendous opportunities to create wealth with the help of the U.S. government's um, tax code, right? Yeah, right? For instance, my wife, as you've mentioned, has been an employee of our company since day one. 
she gets paid enough to make her entire 401k contribution. So that's number one is invest in yourself. And then number two, and this is probably the biggest thing that people quit too soon. And if you look at the power of compounding, that's what your business is. Your business compounds every day. And I used to have a saying that our best advertisement is no advertisement. Right. And that's where we've gotten to. We don't advertise. Why? Because for 25 years, we've been treating people right. Yeah. People, they just come back. Everyone at they social, just social back. media, everybody, is advertisement. When people are talking about your business, when they're bragging about your business, that is your best source. And if some of you are having a hard time even getting Google reviews, I don't mean to plug it, but bid clips, you hit it to complete in your status and it just fires off a chance for your to thank your customer and give a Google review. The third thing I want to talk about and on the heels of COVID, where a lot of commercial real estate is actually inexpensive right now. Talk about that a little bit. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Had I had more confidence early on that we were actually going to make it, I would have invested in real estate far heavier in all of our in all of our markets. We don't own enough. I wish I owned more real estate right. because realistically, people, your businesses aren't worth much. Let's say that you're pulling down 200000 bucks. Okay, and that's if everything included. It's the vehicle, you know, you add in what we call owner's compensation, right? You might have a company vehicle, so you add that in. You, you, you add in cell phones. Cell phones. Mm -hmm. You add in everything that you would normally have to pay for as an employee or outside that the company is taking care of, maybe your health care, things like that. And plus your salary, plus your draw, right? The other thing is talk to your accountant about how are you structured if you're a yeah. sub S. Right. Make sure your salary is at the minimum acceptable level to the IRS for the what for the work you do. Right. Take the rest in distribution. So they'll take that two hundred thousand and they'll do an evaluation and they might look at it and say, "All right, well, what's it take to replace you because you're leaving?" Right. Well, you're going to have to pay somebody seventy five grand a year to replace me. Okay. So now your owner's compensation is down to one hundred and twenty five. Right. All right. That's your net. They're only going to give you a multiplier of two and a half to three and a half on that. So let's say three. So at a buck at one hundred and twenty-five thousand, you're only going to be able to sell that thing for maybe three fifty, three seventy-five. You're going to give ten to fifteen percent away mm -hmm. in commissions and finder's fees. So you end up with three hundred grand. Well, if you've been making two hundred grand and you sell for three hundred grand, you're screwed in eighteen months. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So what do you do? Well, one thing you do is you reduce that 200 grand by investing in real estate. The real estate's a separate component of this mm -hmm. transaction. You keep that real estate, you lease it back to whoever buys your company. Right, right. Because that's rent is where it's at. But people quit. First off, they don't start and then they quit too early. There's a great book called Three Feet from Gold. Mm -hmm. And what it has, it has all these stories about people that were just about at the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And they stopped. Right. They quit. They got tired. And I'm going to tell you, stay with it. Take care of people and they'll take care of you. And, and, and that matters to people. Especially when they've earned their trust. That's what you want to build for yourself. Um, I hope all of you can take something away from, from this episode today. And it doesn't matter if it's auto glass or shower doors or manure. Business is business. Plan, build, create a culture. So again, the last plug, if any of you are looking for great leadership materials, 
um, in the description below, you can have a link to, to, to Mike. And if he's not able to be able to help you himself, we will try to find someone that can. We'll forward your stuff on. Um, otherwise, come see us at Autoglass Week next week. We're giving away um, some auto pumpers for the uh, for the suction cups. They're they're new and fancy, and I'm excited to, to see them working from Equalizer. And uh, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to just to, I just love to hear stories. I love to hear people what they're learning in the field, um, and I'm happy to share what I'm learning every day. So thank you for for joining. Thank you so much, Dad, for doing this with me. And, it's my pleasure. And uh, again. Good luck to all of you out there. Um, keep smiling and keep persevering. Keep smiling. Thank this you. was Today in Trades, powered by Big Clips.